Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. We are back. We did take a little hiatus because I live in New Orleans and there was a a thing called Hurricane Ida. We made it through okay, a lot better than we thought, and we're back. We're happy to be here, happy to bring you this episode featuring actress, producer, filmmaker, director, Chloe Burns, coming to us from Lawrence, Kansas. Very excited to have her on the show. Stick around at the end of the episode. We have the trailer for her upcoming feature, Trauma Bonded. So check that out. Uh, as a reminder, we love to hear from you all on social media. So come find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart, on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. And also check out our merch at Tee Public. They're having a big sale right now, 35% off everything on there. That's teepublic.com. And just happy to be here. So let's get to the episode. Let's get to Chloe Burns. This week, we have our guest, Chloe Burns, coming to us from, where are you? I'm in Kansas right now. Where in Kansas? Lawrence, Kansas. That's where I grew up. And then I got my degree in film from the University of Kansas here in Lawrence. I went to LA in summer of 2019 and then March 2020. Um, just like everybody else, (laughs) everything changed. I drove home and I am still here. How was that? Like, how was LA for you? Had you been before? Was this like the first time? I had visited. This was my first move and it was my first move anywhere away from home, but I loved it. I really enjoyed being in a place with so many other creatives working. I really like being obviously closer to my industry, to the film industry and to acting and just being in a city. I loved the weather. I was so smug when I moved to LA. I was like, I'm never going to have a winter again. I'm never going to scrape ice off my windshield. I'm not, and now this will be my second winter back in Kansas. I got one away <laughs> and now I'm back. So that was, that's great. So I'm originally from Los Angeles, but um, I'm, I moved to New York for a couple of years in my 20s. And after New York, I moved to New Orleans where I am now. And when I came to New Orleans, I had this like ice scraper in my car. It had like a brush on one side and it was an ice scraper. And mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time, she's like, what is this? Is this to clean the kitty litter? Because she's like never seen. I love that for her. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I would keep that, you know, to clean ice or to like break ice up. Like she had no, because she's from New Orleans and it was just, and I, I thought that was so funny. Oh uh, yeah. The things, I mean, even things like owning a winter coat, like the, the little differences that I was like, I don't need to bring it. Like when I was moving to LA, I was like, what do I even bring? Like how, <laughs> wh- how many seasons of wardrobe do I need to have? Cause here it's like, you keep bins 
of your, you know, you have your winter clothes and then you switch them out for your summer clothes. And then you inevitably go back to the summer clothes too early because you went too early on, you know, like it just changes all the time. And yeah, like in Los Angeles, you don't even have to think about it. It's just like, is it daytime? I'll just get (laughs) a shirt. And like, you don't even have to think about it. Yeah, that was one thing like when I moved to New York, because I thought, you know, I'd seen it on TV and they always make the snow and the winter and even the fall, you know, like the way that the leaves change colors and, and yeah. fall down and they make it so pretty and picturesque. And then when you're in it, you're like, fuck these leaves. The snow turns gray immediately and it's disgusting. And yeah. Yeah. How was it? I mean, I'm sure you had a plan to stay in LA, obviously longer. No one, none of us planned on COVID <laughs> happening. Like, how was that decision for you? It was hard. I didn't actually realize how hard it was. Um, just the longer it dragged out, the more I was like, I'm wasting my time. Like I'm not able, cause I went from having like so many things going. I felt like I was picking up all this momentum to start my career and then it just stopped. And I didn't even get to the point, like I have friends who were able to kind of keep up with it because they had agents who were still submitting them, things like that. I didn't have any of that. Like I had barely, barely started and then it stopped. And so, yeah, so it was a lot of anxiety. And that's actually what led to um, the project I'm working on now, which I wrote, I'm producing it, and then I'll be acting in it. It's a web series called Trauma Bonded. And I started writing that because I was like, I can't just sit here and not, like, this is too, how long are we going to, like, for real, how long are we going to be here? And I never thought it would be, I mean, it'll, I'll be here almost two years based on how production, I think we're going to end up filming the web series in January. So I'll go back to LA to do that. But that'll be like a couple months shy of two years out of LA, which is just crazy to even say, because it's like time has just compressed and it's like, yeah, again, like everyone, I cannot believe it's been two years of this almost. Yeah, I know. I mean, I sometimes I'm just like, oh, it's been a decade. And it's like, no, it's just been almost two years. But yeah. <laughs> but it's hard because it does like that literally pivoted your entire life. And, it, and it's so cool that you, you know, took a moment to say like, nope, this is still the thing I want to do. And it's just going to look a little different. Because you're an actress, right? Yeah. And now writer, director, producer, any other <laughs> hyphens? <laughs> Th- those are the main ones. And even it's I would say it's mostly acting and writing. I have produced a couple of times when I have to because I have learned that no one like it's pretty I don't want to say it's like super easy to find a good director, but people are willing to step up and direct, you know, in exchange for the work, the exposure, you know, the experience. Not a lot of people who want to do that with producing. And when it's like your baby, like I wrote this, I need it to look the way that I want it to look. Um, I'm just like, no one's going to be more dedicated to that than I am, at least of the, you know people who exist in my life right now. I'm sure there's someone out there and I'm sorry to that person (laughs) for making this generalization, but that's just been my experience. So producer, I guess by necessity, but yeah, uh, writer, actor, producer, I, I directed in film school and I really enjoyed it, but I'm always too interested in what the actor is doing to be able to step away and direct. I think the more I act, I'll probably come back around, but yeah, currently it's just like, I just like the character work too much to not be the one doing it. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. Like, you know, I, I watch a ton of TV shows and and every once in a while, like you'll watch, you know, like like Law and Order SVU is one of my favorite shows. And uh, every once in a while, you'll see on the credits, like Mariska Hargitay directed the episode. Yeah. And I'm just like, how did she do that and act <laughs> in it? Like, that's amazing. 
Yeah, it's, I don't know either. I, I, I think I've directed projects that I've acted in and I'll need some more time and experience before I attempt that on a bigger level. Cause yeah, it's just the amount of time and work to give a hundred percent to both of those things simultaneously. It's like, that's a real skill. Yeah. And then to see yourself and I guess give yourself notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> and this, this might be an ignorant question, but I, I don't fully understand what producers do. I just, I see, you know, now too, like all these actors, like if there's a big movie, pretty much the stars are also producing it. So I was like, does that just mean they're putting up money or they're putting their name on it or they want a cut of like the producer credits versus just getting like the salary for the actors? Like, what does it mean to produce? Like what, I don't know. I feel like people throw that word around and everyone's like, yeah, the producer. And I'm like, but I honestly have no idea what, what that means. Yeah. Like what, what do- <laughs> like, what is your day? Yeah. <laughs> like, as the, yeah. Um, I know it's a really like the film school that I went to. I had a teacher who um, she she acts and writes and produces a lot of her work. So she's been kind of a guide for me through this process. And she was always like, she's still pushing for the university to add a producing curriculum to the film because there's no there's nothing for producers right now in the curriculum, at least the one that I went to for film. You know, there's you learn how to direct and how to run sound and camera and all of that, but there's not a lot of time spent on the producing. And what I've learned in hindsight is that the work that fell on the director, mostly in film school, was a lot of times the work of the producer. So, you know, my experience of that was like you are getting the team together, you're getting the, you know, everybody's schedules aligned, you're getting, you're figuring out where are we getting our equipment. Where are we getting craft services? Where are we getting our extras? Where are we get, you know, do the actors have the right thing from here to here and to keep track of the, you know, it's a lot of logistics. Okay. And then on the other side of it, like right now I'm crowdfunding um, or by the time this comes out, I may have just finished crowdfunding. This is the last week. But so that involves things like how much money do you want? You could go for 2000 or you could go for 50,000. Like, how do you decide how much money you need, where does the money go? Pretty much like starting your own little business. That's like the world of your film is like, like I'm now the CEO of this business. So my experience is like, it's a lot of spreadsheets. It's a lot of phone calls. It's a lot of decisions. Like how bad do we really need this one specific, you know, piece of equipment? But yeah, I'm still figuring out what a producer does and where <laughs> where the where that starts and where someone like the director ends. And I, I know a lot of projects will have like multiple producers. Like I'm a producer and then I have a friend who's acting as like another producer. And so she'll say like, oh, well, I'll like research, you know, the SAG contracts and then I'll research the LLC, you know, stipulations and then we'll put those together and like that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of um, just like grinding it out and very little, I mean, the, the creativity in producing is essentially problem solving. And so in that way, it's, I don't, it's kind of fun. It's a way to be creative. That's different from the rest of the project, but you're really the one that's like, this will not happen if I'm not here piecing it all together. Like director needs somewhere to show up and everybody's there and ready to go. So how does that happen? Okay. So they're like, people wranglers and then they're basically like the director of the back like the behind the scenes yeah behind the scenes and they are the only reason that it exists (laughs) you know they're (laughs) kind of like I think unsung heroes a little bit but yeah and then I, I don't know how it works when you are 
like Beyonce. And so the film says this was produced like executive producer Beyonce. I don't know that she was calling the camera equipment rental place, but she may have said, I've worked with this cinematographer before. I really like him. Let's hire this guy. Like, I think a lot of times producers also, the more you do it, the more you kind of get a list and of teams that work well together and you put the team together. Beyonce says, hire this person. They're going to hire that person. Yeah. I mean, the producers I've talked to have kind of said the same thing. Like, we're all just doing it. And, you know, it's it's kind of hard to put like one single description on it. But the phrase that I've just been using is like the producers make it happen. That's kind of the overall my takeaway from the past couple of years of me being the one doing it. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because I was just like, when the producer shows up, I was like, what do they actually do? But I guess they make sure that when everybody shows up, everything is ready to go, more yeah. or less. Yeah, pretty much. Well, well, I know you mentioned uh, trauma bonded. Um, I don't know if do you want to give like a brief... Um, I guess just a summary of, so it's a six part web series. Yeah, it's six, six episodes. And essentially it is a web series. It's a comedy that is trying to change the way that we talk about female trauma on screen. And so in the world of the show, it's like kind of a dark comedy action adventure. There's you know, an assassin and there's a, you know, bisexual love triangle and they're all in a safe house cabin together trying to escape these people who are pursuing them. But that's just the plot. The story, the through line is basically about how how bad does it need to get before you are ready to to face the most difficult things that you've been through. Um, so it's about facing trauma. But the the thing that I think makes it unique for that. And this is why I mentioned female trauma specifically is because so much of the time, if you try to watch any media that involves women dealing with some kind of trauma, like abuse or assault or anything like that, that, that happens to so many of us, but we still have such a weird time figuring out how to talk about it. A lot of shows and a lot of movies, a lot of media, they decide that the way to talk about it best is to show it really graphically and make it really like a gut punch every time. Or they kind of use it as like a, a shortcut to character development, where they're like, we have this character, she needs to get from here to being, you know, this badass assassin, we need something to motivate her, give her some kind of trauma, and let's show it on screen. And what's hard about that is if you have been through trauma, it, there's no like, watching that does what why, why would I do that again, you know, like, I don't need to see it. I've, I know what it's like. I've been through it. Um, so this isn't really like helping me in that way. I have found that when I try to push forward and watch things anyway, I really do. I get depressed. It flares up a lot of those trauma symptoms. Um, it's just not a good time. And so I wanted to write about that experience, but I was like, if I'm going to be the one acting in it, if I'm going to write it, if I'm going to produce it, I don't want to write a scene for myself where I'm getting assaulted again because that I've already done that. And so that was what inspired the series to be fun and exciting and funny because it I, it needed to be that in order for me to to write it and act it. But I made those rules for myself like I'm not going to show violence. I'm not even going to cast the role of an abuser because I'm just not interested in that piece of the story. Um, this is about the after the abuser is gone. This is about the after effects. So that's like more than an elevator pitch, but that's essentially, you know, it's, it's wouldn't be a hundred percent right to just say it's about this assassin 
character. It's about facing trauma. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like, uh, like immediately what came to mind when you were saying that was like in Kill Bill, even though she's the most badass assassin killer, like fighter, whatever. Number one, it's called Kill Bill. So you still have like the name of the guy in it, you know? And, right. and number two, like she, they flash back to like so much trauma that this character has experienced, not just one traumatic thing, but like multiple. And that's what has motivated her to, to kill Bill or to, you know, make it through the story. Like, and, and that's, mm-hmm. That is true with so many female characters that it's like, oh, she's this way because this thing happened. And it's like, why can't she just be a, a badass without some sort of, you know, mm-hmm. trauma that that pushes her or elevates her story forward? Yeah. Yeah. It's the more I talk about this with other women, the more everybody has that one show or that one movie that they're like, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. So like for me, it was kind of Game of Thrones a little bit. Because I watched a lot of it and I loved that show, but it got harder and harder to keep sitting down and turning it on, knowing that I was going to have to brace that hard just to get through another episode. Like, you know, when is this character going to get assaulted? When is this character, you know, how do I prepare for that? How do I, you know, and it just got to be like, I just kept putting it off more and more. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of like, why am I putting this pressure on myself to keep coming back and doing this like it's at this point it's not fun anymore yeah you shouldn't have to brace yourself to to watch what's supposed to be entertaining yeah and it's it's supposed to be kind of an escape but is it really if you're just getting pulled back into that very real thing um and that's another thing i do feel like sometimes it's kind of uh like a device to use if you want to show like i I notice a lot of times especially with period pieces like game of thrones is supposed to be obviously not this world but like a, a medieval type world and a lot of those I I think they tend to use it as kind of a a way to show the audience how hardcore this world is or like how gritty they are as storytellers like yeah you know no no polish we're going to show it for what it really is and it's like I mean okay but again it's like who is it for why is it being written and again I don't think that you have to cut it out of the reality of the world but there's a difference between doing that and having like a five minute assault scene where it's just an actress screaming for the whole time. And you and they always have like, I feel like there's always the part where you see the light go out of her eyes. Like that's the really dramatic moment where she's like, I don't exist anymore. And then she like falls away. I don't mean to laugh, but I laugh because I, I, I know exactly. The, I what didn't think about, about it until this moment. And I was like, they all have that, like, this is the end. And it's like, it's not like that doesn't happen. Because it does, that is the feeling, but just the fact that like it's the same every time, and you're like, are we adding anything to? Do we have anything to say about it, or is this just kind of like a bunch of people throwing it in there because they're like, why not? You know, like it just mm-hmm. and it's different. The one that I always use when I'm explaining the difference is like in "I May Destroy You," that's very clearly done differently because it's the focus is not on that moment and they show it to an extent, but you're not subjected to it the same way. And at least she has like, she is the main character. She is the one going through it. She has an arc and a journey and she, you know, and it's complex and there's a different intention going into it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never seen a single episode of game of Thrones, mostly because I don't want to talk about it with anybody (laughs) um, because people won't shut up about it. But whenever I ask them, I'm like, well, what's it even about? And they're just like incest and dragons. And I was like, no, not, you're not motivating me. 
But I also used to like when it was on TV, that was my grocery store time. Because when it used to be like every week, everyone had Game of Thrones parties and I would go to the grocery store and it would be empty. And I was like, this is great. I'm not, (laughs) I can let go of this show completely. That's great. Yeah, I have a habit of, I was just talking the other day, I did this with sex education. I will only get into a show right as it's ending. And I don't know why, but it's like, a show will go on for years and I'll be like, oh, I'll get to it at some point. And then it ends and the fan base is always like upset that it's ending. And that for whatever reason is when I'm like, I should check this out. Like I should see what it's all about. So yeah, I watched four or five seasons of Game of Thrones right before the final season came out. And then everybody was like, the final season was terrible. And so then I was like, well, then I don't really know what this is building towards. And then, like I said, it got harder and harder to just kind of keep pushing through. And so I kind of fizzled on it. But I liked it. I don't know that I I don't have like a, you know, Daenerys tattoo or anything. <laughs> it was a fine show. But yeah, the selling point was always that. They were like, there's just like so much banging. Yeah. Like, so, and I was like, okay, you know, like. I guess. Yeah, I'm like sure if that's if that's a thing that you need to get excited about. But I um I also I don't know if, if you're this way too since you do catch things at the end. Like I feel like I fight the hype. Like if there's a show that everyone's like you have to watch this show, I'm like no, it's probably terrible. And I want to fight I want to fight against it even though it's probably good because everybody's watching it and it's winning all the awards and then yeah. I'm just like and if I watch it I'll like look for something wrong with it. I don't know if that's like just me just wanting to fight <laughs> I mean, I think I have a similar thing, but mine is more about if I do get hooked on a show, the amount of time and energy that that takes from me. That's always the thing that I have a hard time with is like if people are like, this show is so good. I'm like, oh, my God, I have so many other things going on. If it really is that good, I'm going to (laughs) be spending time on it. And then if I'm invested, I'm going to have to do things like I'm going to have to avoid spoilers. I'm going to have to make sure that when I talk to people about it, I know where the, you know, like it's so much like work. (laughs) And so by the time it's done and no one's invested in it anymore, then you get into it and then you can just watch it. Although I have had the problem too, when I do that and then I'm excited about it and want to talk about it with people, everybody's like gone because it's done and they've moved on. So that is a risk that I run when I do that. Yeah. And spoilers are definitely a risk. Yeah. Spoilers. I've ruined some shows for myself without meaning to by just like harmless Googling. And then as it turns out, that character dies or whatever. And then you're like, oh, and then it whole thing's over. Yeah, that's what I warned people, you know, I don't, did you watch the original L Word? I watched a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah, there was one character that died unexpectedly, like in season, I think, two. And so now if people like go back to watch it, I'm like, don't Google anything because immediately <laughs> this will come up that this character died and that because all the fans were so upset because she was like one of the fan favorites and then they killed her off and everyone's like, mm. what the... Why would you do that? We love her. And then the actress, it's not like the actress died or quit or whatever. Like it was just they decided to do that just to change it up and then it was the wrong move and they've admitted it but that's all Mm -hmm. you'll see if you look up like original l word oh wow so be be warned (laughs) that's good to know yeah i always and it's so hard because i always do want to learn all of the behind the scenes about the show and oh my god that is just so fraught because you yeah if you don't know like I think I ruined like multiple, multiple character deaths or departures or even like romantic things. Like they choose the wrong person in the love triangle. And then you're like, well, now I don't want to watch this. Because <laughs> I know that it's not going to, 
I can't even hope that it's going to end the right way, you know? And yeah. yeah, it's, I still haven't fully learned my lesson, but I'm getting better. Yeah. I will never learn my lesson, but I'll try <laughs> every single time. And I want to ask you, cause you identify as bisexual and you're, uh, you do have a bisexual love triangle, like you mentioned. And I know just from watching movies and TV myself, and also talking, I've, you know, talked with quite a few by identifying folks on this podcast of like, media representation of bisexual identifying or it's I think it's tricky I think it's it's come a long way I think there's still a lot of stereotypes that are still existing that need to not exist I think there's still like a lot of problematic stuff like what was that choice for you specifically in in your movie and kind of more generally sometimes I ask like five questions at once but like more generally like how do you see bi representation in television film, media, and where would you like it to kind of be? My approach to who I am as a person and my sexuality and everything is just that I I want everybody else to know, but I don't want to talk about it. It's like this weird back and forth and not in like a bad way, like a, like a shame or like secret kind of way, but I've never been someone who's like super big into like talking about my relationships or personal life. It's like, just uncomfortable for me but at the same time I don't like it like it still makes me uncomfortable when people don't know and then they ask me things like oh so you know are there any any guys in your life or whatever like I you know it's just kind of that moment of like ooh, you know that's yes but let's not like limit it to that you know and so I, I like for it to be out there. One of the things that does kind of weigh on you, I think, in and not even just by representation, but in like any kind of queer representation is when it becomes a part of the plot and like a part of the conflict. Kind of for a similar thing with the assault thing. And that's also part of the like bury your gaze thing, right? Like they die or they get assaulted, or they get, you know, Mm. and a lot of times it feels like it's the filmmakers kind of trying to say, like, we acknowledge the, you know, we acknowledge the struggles of the queer community, but there's not a lot of happy, content gay people on screen. And so I wanted to put it in mine as a reflection of this is my experience, this is my life, but it's not at all, like, it's not even mentioned in those terms, like the, there's a girl and a guy they're in relationships and there's a girl and a girl and they're in a relationship and it's it's just not a big deal I know I'm obviously not alone in this like it would be great if it were just assumed that or maybe not assumed but at least if it just weren't a a deal you know Mm -hmm. and so that was I wanted to write that because I that's my fantasy of how the world actually works I want to live in a world where it's not a big deal it's just these two people are dating and these two people are dating and that's how it is. And that was always my favorite. When I think of bi representation, like my mom and I are rewatching Grey's Anatomy right now. And so Callie Torres was one of the first ones when I watched that show when I was younger, I was like, Oh, like you could just do that. Like you could just do that. You could just, it doesn't have to be like one or the other. It doesn't have to be all of a sudden, if you announce that you're gay, you can never be with men again or whatever. Like she is just bi, but you know, she has her coming out journey and then she just is alive as a bisexual person and that's it. And then I think of, I think Olivia Wilde has played multiple bisexual characters, but I always think of her role on House. There was an episode where House and Foreman at least find out that she's by and there's a scene where they're they're talking about something else one of them mentions like yeah well you know that goes both ways and then they like look at each other and they're like 13 (laughs) and it was just one of those great like why can't it be like that you know like I like a nice little joke but it doesn't have to be 
you know, a thing. Or a punching down. Like, that's not a joke that's punching down. That's just a joke of like, here, look, we did this play on (laughs) words. Like, not... Yeah, it's cute. And, you know, I haven't watched a lot of things that, that do a terrible injustice but mostly because whenever I see like this show mishandled it, I'm like, oh, okay, well then I'm not going to watch that. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, that reflects the kind of friendships I want to have. That reflects the kind of life that I want to have. It's not depressing, but it's accurate. I just wanted to reflect that. And in an early version of the script, I think I may have made the sexuality thing a bigger storyline. And then I just took it out. Cause I was like, I, you know it's like the assault thing I was like it's not fun I want it to be fun and to me it's most fun when it's just these are the characters and this is who they are but it it doesn't need to be any more than that yeah that might be good that you wrote it out because I feel like it's it's important for like whoever's playing the character to like have okay here's here's the journey up until now of this character here's their life when they were like 10 and this is the playground they went to and here's when they came out and here's all you know to have that in the mm-hmm. background, but like we don't necessarily need to always have the coming out story be like the crux of this of this character. Yeah, like there's more to you than that. And especially for me, like my coming out has not been eventful at any part of the process. <laughs> so it wouldn't be true to my experience to write about something that is a, a bigger deal because it just hasn't been for me. And again, I think it's obviously worthwhile to, in film and media, it's worth it to show the struggles. But I think it's kind of just as important to show the positives and to show a nice version of the world. Because when you're just watching over and over and over again, how hard it is, it just again, it's the same thing as like the assault thing. It's like, why am I, why am I doing this? Like, why would I take an hour out of my day to watch this depressing thing? And again, like, cannot stress enough not to say that that isn't important, but it would be nice to see it level a little bit more. I think they're both important because and I remember what coming out, you know, it's been like 15 years since I came out. But at the time, like, I just saw, you know, and not just in media, but in real life, like people being disowned, kicked out of their house, like you're seeing all these negatives. I didn't see a lot of people that were like, I came out to my parents, and we were closer than ever. Or, yeah. you know, I came out and, and nothing happened. And like, so having that too, helps people with the courage to come out. Like we recently had National Coming Out Day and a lot of people were, you know, we share our stories every year and I do think it's important. And I think it's important both ways. But I think Mm -hmm. some people also feel guilty that like some people had such a terrible or still ongoing, you know, I know people in their 40s, 50s that are still having trouble with, with coming out and people feel bad that like they had, you know, a relatively good experience compared to that. But I also think about teen, I didn't come out until I was 23. So like, Teenage me would have loved to see those stories and hear those stories and and know that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I really identify with that. Like guilt is the right word. Where yeah, it's it's almost like survivor's guilt a little bit when like you had an easy time and it hasn't caused any issues. And I do think there is a certain amount of for me. I know that it's been a lot easier for me than it has been for my friends who are gay. Which because for me it was kind of like I dated guys through school and through college and after and it's like if I had to which like is a funny way of putting it if I had to I could date guys through the rest of my life you know (laughs) so it's all it is a little bit of a luxury kind of that it wasn't a bigger deal it didn't it was just it was almost kind of just like expanding on who I am Um, it wasn't kind of changing anything in people's minds I don't think and so there is a certain amount of that you know it wasn't hard for me it 
it may have been harder if I wasn't just bisexual. I don't know. And then, yeah, also just the how easy it's been. And, you know, I haven't ever had issues with things like employment or any of that kind of discrimination. It just hasn't been a thing for me. And it, it there is like I try to acknowledge, obviously, all of the work that activists have done up until this point to make it that way. But it does make it a little bit hard to enjoy, too, in the day to day. Like it's I like being in, out in the open. But sometimes being happy almost feels like kind of a, a guilty thing with it, too, because you're like, well, that's not how it is for everyone. Yeah. So that, that's a weird that's a tricky part of it that I haven't quite figured out how to navigate yet. I feel bad about but also, like I said, it's it's a it's a good thing to, to show like, hey, you know, you can still have the love and support. And also like your family can and your friends can know all of you. Like I used to be shy and quiet and have no confidence and I think all of it was like I knew this piece of me and I was not only scared to come out but I was scared that I would lose everything in my life you know Mm -hmm. and so I kept it in and as I came out to friends family to the world I've yeah I perform I do stand up now like I if you would have told me that I was going to do that when I was in my teens absolutely not hopefully one day it won't be this like heteronormative perspective where like people will just assume that you're straight until otherwise, like hopefully there'll be mm-hmm. this open mindedness all around and it won't be like, Oh, have you dated any guys? You have to be like, actually, you know, I like, and you have to come out at all these moments and you have to explain all these things. Hopefully yeah. in the future, like that language will shift and you know, it'll make it easier for everybody. I hope so. Yeah. One of the things that's been really interesting that I see, I saw a video the other day of someone saying that it was their dad or someone had always told them like sexuality is a choice. Like you choose who you want to be with. And they kind of like confronted them a little bit more about it. Like, why are you saying that? Like, why do you think that? And the, their parent dad or whoever replied and he was like well I could have dated men if I'd wanted to but I chose to date your mom and they were kind of like I don't think that you're saying what you think that you're saying Mm -hmm. because what I'm hearing is that you're like definitely either bisexual or somewhere on that sexuality spectrum that you are not straight but because you think like if you think that that's how everybody is and you think that you're straight because of the two that you are attracted to you chose the one that was more acceptable you think that that's how it is for everyone and that was such an interesting like oh it may be so much more common than we think it is but we just haven't addressed it that way or put that language to it yet. And that really changed the way that I thought about a lot of this. And I mean, we know that like all of these communities have always existed. They've just been expressed in different ways. I mean, I'm excited to see how it continues to grow and change and everything. You know, I've even now, like when I was a kid, I saw bisexual being the term applied to it. Now they, you know, we've kind of like expanded into you have the pansexual community, you have different versions. And so I've, you know, I've had people ask me like, why, why do you say bisexual instead of pansexual? And I'm like, I don't know. I, it's the one that I identify with. It's the one that I grew up understanding what it meant. But if you cornered me and were like, well, you know, based on this definition, you might like, maybe I am pansexual. I don't know. But just having more of the like talking about it and everything, the language, it's changing. And yeah, I hope it gets better. And I just, just in saying that I have to share this story here because it's so funny. Thinking about continuing like with younger generations, how they're kind of becoming all of the kids younger than me are have so much of a better language and awareness than I or any of my peers did. Absolutely. And we were 
my family got together at my grandparents' house recently. It was like everybody had been vaccinated. We had all quarantined. We were like, this is the only time for who knows how long that we're going to be able to be in the same room together. We all got together. And at some point, you know, we were doing the family gossip thing, talking about other family members. And one of my family members came up who is identifies as pansexual. And so my grandma was asking, like, now, what does that mean? Because I keep hearing that said everywhere. And I don't know what that means. And that's a new word. And my aunt started telling her, she was like, well, you know, it means that you're attracted to, you know, the person, not necessarily the gender or anything. And, you know, and, and not even people, you know, if, if you find it's wherever you find love. So if it's in a table, then you love that table. And her, my cousin, my aunt's daughter, who's, I think she's 14. She was like, mom, it doesn't mean that. (laughs) And my aunt was like, yes, it does. It means, you know, pansexual. It's like very, and she was like, no, mom, no, it doesn't. And she was like, no, it doesn't. And she had to keep like that. And she was like, it doesn't mean that. She was like, no, it's still a human being. Like you're attracted to people. It's just that it does, you know. And she was so proud of herself. She was like, I knew a thing. It's a new word. The older generation asked asked me and I had the answer to it because I'm young and hip. I know. And you know what? She was so accepting of it. Like yeah. it was kind of nice. I was like, man, even if, you know, my cousin were dating a table, you would have been there for her. Yeah. And I so appreciate <laughs> the sentiment behind that. But it was just so funny. Those kinds of conversations didn't exist even only like a couple years ago, I feel like. So yeah, absolutely. That's just it was like awesome to watch and just like objectively very funny. Yeah, no, I've had both of my parents call me different times and say, you know, I heard this word genderqueer. What does that mean? And they they honestly, they don't ask, they ask, like, like I said, it's not a punching down. It's a, like wanting to understand. It's a, like, they'll see it on TV or they'll read it in some article and they're genuinely asking. And I think these conversations are really great to have. And it's, it's cool now that in 2021, you can have that. Cause I feel like maybe 20 years ago, even if you like read a word or saw something on TV, you might not want to talk about it because people just didn't talk about it. And now now things are different. And I know, I know they're not like, they're not where I would want them to be by any means, but I definitely try to acknowledge like the progress that has been made in my lifetime alone. Yeah, I think adding language and having language to talk about things is definitely one of the first most important steps to being able to like, address the underlying issues. And that's part of why, you know, like I said, this project I've I've created that I'm working on, it's a show about facing trauma, but it's comedic throughout. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to have moments of more dramatic, but I try to include the humor all the way through because I think comedy is so important because it gives you like a language to talk about something in a way that's so much more accessible. And for me, as a you know survivor of assault and domestic violence, getting to apply humor to that, now all of a sudden I can talk about it with people. And I haven't been able to talk about it because it's so uncomfortable. No, There's no like cultural script. Nobody knows what to say. No one knows how to handle it. And so putting something out there that's fun to engage with and watch. For me, that's gone a huge, very long way in me being able to talk about it. And that has been very freeing and liberating and empowering that whole process. It's like we're seeing that I feel like with so many other things, like not just they're on these parallel tracks, like I'm having this happen for me on like the queer side of my life. And then on like the survivor side of my life, just gaining the terminology and the words and the ability to express it in the stories. And yeah, just it's like, more is better. 
at this point, I think just more of the people getting to talk about it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, especially cause I do stand up and a lot of people are probably like, Oh, why would you make this funny? But like, I, I think for me, humor gets to the root of the truth. And, totally. and I think with trauma bonded that I think that's probably a really important piece of all these different parts of it that you're talking about. And humor is one way to get there. And yes, maybe some of the humor is kind of morbid, but that's also how people cope and deal with things. Like I have, some stand-up jokes that I'll tell and people will laugh at and I'll go to another crowd and I'll get an awe or like a, <laughs> you know, because because it is something kind of fucked up. But like, it's also, I'm trying to take the fucked up thing and turn it around, process it myself, process it in a narrative that, that I can understand and, and that I can get something out of, you know? Yeah, that thing too, that this is what people do. Like this isn't, um, every time I talk to people who have also been through a trauma like I have, those are like the funniest conversations that I have with people. Cause yeah, that's all of us do that. And so I get asked that with this project, like, so how are you pairing, you know, this really dark subject with comedy? I'm like, well, I have to, like, I wouldn't not do that. But that's the thing is that I'm not, again, it's that punching down. I'm not punching down. Like it's not a comedy about how, like, look at these survivors. They suck. You know, like that's not the joke. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing that I think people have a hard time with it until you show what it looks like. Once they see the routine, then they're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's just like, sure. But it's it's hard to imagine, especially, I guess, if they haven't been through it to like, how is this supposed to be? Like, how are those supposed to go together? But that's the thing about like having lived through it yourself. You just have this unique perspective on it to be able to, yeah, find the humor in it. And that's just such a human thing to do yeah and i i think it's awesome when those things can come together very you know neatly and in a way that that is leaves an overall positive outlook on things Mm -hmm. can you uh, let folks know how they can find more information about trauma bonded yeah so right now our uh seed and spark page is live until saturday the 23rd so we will see when this comes out but that page even after crowdfunding closes that page will still be live and people can still follow it that's where we'll post the updates um, and so that link is seedandspark.com slash fund slash trauma dash bonded. Um, and we can obviously add that to the description as well, but I haven't memorized at this point. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it in our, our footnotes and on all our social media as well. And then for socials, um, it's just my Instagram page. So that's at it's Chloe Burns. And then, yeah, Instagram is the one I'm most active on, but that's also my Twitter if you if you go to my Twitter, you'll just see me bullying the Kansas politicians over <laughs> COVID and ab- abortion rights. So I'm I'm very interested in that actually. <laughs> it's like I just I saw the other day. This is so like left another track, but I saw the other day that Kansas and a handful of other states, like the state, signed a petition to like or not a petition, but it was like an appeal so that the Texas abortion ban could stand and be be effective. It was like 18 states. And of course, Kansas was one of them. I was like, awesome. So I spent the evening just emailing everybody like, are you okay? <laughs> I love how, you know, they say, okay, every state has to act in its own, you know, and they'll say like, well, we don't want California telling us what to do. But if it's Texas and Kansas, they'll get involved in each other's shit. And it's like, you're well, so hypocritical. Well, and I'm learning too, like whenever I send one of those emails or whatever in the subject line, I always make it something that applies to it, but has the different language so with this one the the subject of it was like 
give us human rights, you know, but the Mm -hmm. subject line was like, protect our freedom. (laughs) My thinking is that they'll read a little bit further if they think I'm going to come in and be like, you know, we don't need no vaccine mandates or masks, (laughs) you know, but actually it's like, okay, so no, let me have this. (laughs) Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. You got to rope them in with the subject. (laughs) Yeah, I get the lead right. I'm trying to like, do more and more like how long can I string them along before bringing them back to that point? You know? Yeah. So it's a that's a fun skill that we all get to learn in this day and age. It's what social media is for. I'm glad you're, you know, it's like we all also, this shit is happening. Like what's happening in Texas is going on. And if, and if this, if this continues on in this way, then other states are going to pass laws like that. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And we do need to speak up. So it's great. And Twitter, Twitter is effective. Like it is effective. (laughs) It's also hilarious, but I love a mean tweet to a politician. I'm about that. Yeah. And especially I went on a rampage through the COVID stuff because the can our Kansas reps were on the one hand, they were upset because they didn't want to be imposing any kind of COVID restrictions On the other hand, they were defending all of the Capitol rioters and the language they were using was, again, it's that complete split, like hypocritical, you know, like, okay, so you care about things like what what was their thing? I forget what their party line was about not enforcing the COVID stuff. But I was like, okay, cool. So we care about things like security and safety and all of that but not when we have people storming the nation's capital or, you know, whatever, and just come on. Like, okay, cool. And those were the things that really had people very fired up was just that they were sitting over here defending these rioters and defending that kind of stuff. And then turning around and just pushing everybody out to get infected with this virus and die in their state. And you're not, yeah. And not, I mean, I'm pro vac. I got vaxxed the second I was able to, but at least wear a freaking mask. Anything, honestly. So many things I can list that like infringe on our freedom that they're totally fine with. But like wearing a mask and getting vaxxed is like, I can't believe this is our, our, you know, First Amendment right to free speech and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't get it. But I've gotten in so many fights with people. But it's like, at a certain point, it's like, you're not changing your mind. I'm not changing my, my mind. And, you know, if, if your bad choices didn't affect me, I honestly would be like, you choose whatever you want to do. But the way COVID works is it's going to affect other people. And that's where I'm like, stop being selfish. Like, at the end of the day, all you yeah. can say whatever you want about the constitution, but like, don't be selfish. Don't infect grandma because <laughs> you you want your constitutional rights. Yeah. Which, and then of course, like you're going to talk about freedom, having to wear a mask. And then at the, in like the same breath, you're like, but you can't get an abortion. You can't oh, yeah. be on birth control you, because I don't like, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, you could go on and on about that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> when, when COVID started, I read a book that you can actually download for free as a PDF. Um, it's called The Authoritarians. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I think it's Bob Altemeyer. But that was a great book because it explained so much about, I think, what we've been seeing unfold over the last couple of years is just what that mindset is, how you can live with that split between these like directly contradictory things and never question it. Like It's just this incredible study in that. And so I read it. I was like, okay, I'm stuck at home. I have plenty of time and this is happening. And that was like right at the start, we had no idea how bad it was going to get. And I was like, I think it's going to get bad. I want to be prepared. So I read that book. I read a couple of similar ones, but that one I think about every day. 
when I see this kind of stuff. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, I mean, I can, even when I was a kid, I grew up in like a very Catholic, I'm not Catholic at all, but I grew up with a lot of Catholic people. You know, at least growing up, now divorce, I guess, is kind of okay with the church, but it used to not be. So it's like people would get divorced or you couldn't have sex before marriage, but then if you did you and you had a baby, you couldn't abort the baby because that's a sin, but it's like the other thing's a sin. So aren't you like going to hell anyway? I don't know how many Hail Marys are going to make up for like having sex before marriage. Like it just didn't, it didn't gel with me. Like I did not understand their, the logic behind it. Cause I'm a very logic based person where I'm like, if I understood it, yeah, but I, it doesn't make sense. They are absolutely two things that can't exist together. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. It's like so fascinating to me if I can separate a little bit out and just pretend like when I went to school, when I went to college, I had planned on majoring in anthropology. It's just, it's also interesting. And if I take that lens and I, if I look at it as like, this is a sample case, you know, like this isn't really happening. This is like subject A. If I look at it that way, it helps me connect a lot better with everything. And then when I go bully my politicians or get into, you know, the rest of the world, it helps me. It's like learning a new language. Like how, how does this way of thinking work? And it honestly has helped me to not waste my life getting into those personal back and forth that you know aren't going anywhere. Like there are effective things to do that isn't really one of them. And so all of that's been one of my bigger learnings again over the past past five years or so. Yeah, but it's great because you can you can put it in your art, you know? That's what's fantastic about it. You can have these messages in the art without necessarily being over the top or like in your face messages. They could they could just be hidden in the subtext and and expressed mm-hmm expressed that way i think we've, we've got to do a whole other podcast because i was like i could talk <laughs> I politicians in the south and <laughs> the midwest all day <laughs> oh my god i know it's such a like i feel like anytime it comes up that's like 20 minutes to three <laughs> hours just gone because you're like oh and another thing like yeah I'm like oh i forgot <laughs> I like yeah this is happening in texas but like this is what's happening here and it's just like oh man <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much for for doing the podcast. It's been, this has been really fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it has been fun. I've really been enjoying like, this is a weird bonus of COVID is that like, we wouldn't have been able to do this otherwise. Because like you said, if you were doing it in person, I'm in Kansas, you're in New Orleans. But yeah, it's it's really fun to connect. Yeah, absolutely. I've really, yeah, since COVID, I've done so many interviews with people that are not in New Orleans or didn't come through New Orleans. So it's just been nice getting to see what people are doing, you know, because especially mm-hmm. like with COVID, you were in LA and you, you came back home and it's like, how would we ever have connected? I don't, I don't know. But like, this is the internet's mm-hmm. a wonder can be a wonderful place. It can also be a terrible place, but, yeah. uh, but it's cool. And then this project came out of I try to always see the silver lining. It's like, yes, COVID fucking sucks. And this all sucks. And, you know, like I said, your life took this pivot, but like something really cool came out of it. And, you know, I'm really excited to see the final product. So keep us posted about trauma bonded. And thanks so much for doing the pod. Yeah, thank you. And yes, I will definitely I will keep you updated. Hopefully we'll be doing production in January. Um, anyone who does follow the Seed and Spark page will probably see the finished result a little bit earlier than it will go like public so that's if you need an incentive to to go follow it there you go oh that's awesome all right thank you as it turns out i am a survivor of domestic violence which (laughs) sounds 
ridiculous. It's a, it sounds insane. Um, mostly because when I say it, I say it like it's a secret, you know, like, hey, domestic violence, don't tell anybody. Trauma Bonded is a dark comedy about confronting painful things. When the media that I grew up with would try and address issues like violence against women, it was always kind of like, here's a graphic scene of a woman being abused. And as the audience, you're like, okay, so what was her journey with that? And the TV show is always like, did you see the graphic scene? That's her story now. She's sad. I like my characters to make really weird personal decisions. So if this is a girl who is awkward and who wants to find purpose, what if she becomes a superhero and befriends her arch nemesis? Or if this girl's parents send her to a farm that kills witches, what if she turns to homicide? So in the case of Trauma Bonded, the story is, what if Casey and her alter ego, Kate, who is an assassin, fight each other for control while they try to protect the romantic partners, Mads and Dan, from deadly secret agents. So the three of them run away to a safe house where Dr. Pine, the creepy TV psychologist, tries to help them recover from their past and not get murdered now. Not to mention the fact that Dan and Mads didn't know about each other or the other personalities until this life or death situation. So it's gonna get complicated. And then there's a comedy show and hallucination sequence as well. It's a fun show, but the point of the project is to give us another perspective of what it means to be a survivor. It's very personal because this is something that I have struggled with and I don't think we've seen enough survivors taking power over their own narratives. I would like to see that change and I hope this project can be an example of what that might look like. Thank you to Chloe Burns for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub for our music for this and every episode. Find us on social media, Twitter, Queer to My Heart, Instagram, Facebook, Near and Queer to My Heart. If you have iTunes, Apple, give us five stars. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.